please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. 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 We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning from Rick Bonson Ministries. Glad you've joined us today. Um, this is Wednesday. I want to remind you that tomorrow night we will be in Atlanta at the uh, Hampton Inn on Hammond Drive for our Thursday night Rick Bonfam Ministries Atlanta Bible Study. So I hope you join us at 7 o'clock. Um, it's great that we are gathering together again there for Bible Study on Thursdays. Um, right now, Rick and John are driving home from Tennessee. Last night they had a meeting. They went to pray for Pastor Craig Green and his wife Tina, and then they were with Dino Cates and Catherine Cates and their congregation there in um, in Livingston, Tennessee. So we're praying for a safe journey home for Rick and John and that they had a wonderful meeting last night. We're looking forward to hearing about it. <clears throat> so if you've been following us, you know that for the last 18 months or so, um, Rick has been receiving and delivering to us a revelation of the prophetic. And we have currently 25 podcasts of his message on the, on the prophetic. Um, we are hoping that these podcasts, these messages, are actually going to turn into a new book, his second book. Um, it is a revelation for today. And the base of this revelation, Kathy's going to read the scripture for us, it's Revelation 19.10. That's right. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Good projection there, Kathy. Good. We talked about that. <coughs> so if the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, what that basically means is that whenever we speak 
or preach or testify of the reality of Jesus. We are prophesying. Now, how does where do we find prophecy in, in terms of New Testament, as us as New Testament believers in the Scripture? The, the most common or the most um, just go-to place is 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul gives the gifts, the nine gifts of the Spirit, three revelation gifts, which is word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, three power gifts, which is faith, gifts of healing and working of miracles, and three vocal gifts, which is tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophesying. And then, as Paul continues to the Corinthians, he very specifically defines and emphasizes prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14.3, he says, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. He also urges the Corinthians in verse 1 of chapter 14, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because of 1 Corinthians 14.3, because prophesying edifies the church, exhorts the church, builds up, comforts the church for the common good. (coughs) You see, these days... Why is this a word for today? Because we are in a war between God and culture. (laughs) Culture I'm defining as humanitarian, socialist, leftist, conservative opinions, uh, lifestyles, experts telling us what to do, what to think, how to feel, Um, pep talks like we're all in this together. (laughs) There's this culture out there that we're trying to to navigate, and even the, the good stuff, like we're all in this together, is not necessarily God's word to us. We need God's word to us in this day, right? So God moves by the Holy Spirit, by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is how God moves, and um, it's not our best effort. The vocal power of the ministry of Jesus by the Holy Spirit is what we need. The only thing that produces life and fruit and actually meets the need is what God speaks into the situation, not our best effort to even say something positive. So there is a war um, between God and culture, and we want to be vessels of God that what we speak into our lives and into the situation and to the lives of others is God actually speaking through us. And that's why this is such a, a message for today. <coughs> so I'm gonna I'm using actually some notes of Rick's when he gave up. He talked about <laughs> it's hard to read his writing, but <laughs> um, may God give me the interpretation of writing, right? <coughs> and he called this message the formation of a prophetic life. He says the objective of a prophetic life is power to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what John meant when he said, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. What Kathy just wrote. Power to share the good news of Jesus Christ. If there's anything the world needs right now, (coughs) it's what? The good news of Jesus Christ. And the power to share that is the spirit of prophecy. Are, are Are you with me? 
the mouth confesses, the spirit of prophecy releases. Let me get, let's go to a biblical example of just at one story. We could pick hundreds, but let's go to a wonderful one in 1 Samuel where the spirit of prophecy released the purpose and the will of God into the life of someone who had a need. <clears throat> I love this story. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. 1 Samuel 1, beginning with verse 1. Now there was a certain man from, oh dear, Ramathiam Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephraimite. There we go, got through all those names. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children, which, as you know, was the greatest heartbreak and disgrace a woman could have in that time, in that culture. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. So this is a need that had been going on in Hannah's life for a long, long time. Because Penaniah had sons and daughters. Year after year, this harassment, this, this shaming of you have no worth because you have not been able to give any children is a deep need in Hannah. So we're looking at a person here with a need that nobody can meet, right? <clears throat> and, and that's what I'm talking about, culture. No nice little cliches of we're all in this together. <laughs> it's going to help Hannah. She needs something that no one can provide. And that's, we need the power to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God. We need to be able to release that into the lives of others if we're really going to be able to, to make a difference and to have fruit. So, so here, here we have Hannah. Just imagine if she is someone in your life that you want to help, but you know you have nothing to give to meet this need. <clears throat> Verse 8, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? This is such a man thing. Why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? <laughs> then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy maidservant and remember me, and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head, meaning he would be completely dedicated to the Lord. He would, be, he would take a Nazarite vow to belong completely to the Lord. <clears throat> now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, 
How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Did she tell Eli her specific problem? Did she tell him why she was crying? No. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered. Now we're going to see the spirit of prophecy at work. Through a man who isn't even a good man. (laughs) Eli was not a top-notch man. But the spirit of of prophecy, because of Hannah's need, because of God's love for for, for God, because nothing else could meet her need, God used this fairly worthless servant, Eli, to speak to the need by the spirit of prophecy. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the the Lord and returned to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Hannah's in prayer. Eli saw her mouth move, thought she was drunk. Eli says this, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant the petition you have asked of him. He didn't say, What's your problem? He didn't say, Talk to me about why you're crying here. He spoke forth the answer. May God grant the petition you've asked of him. That is how the the spirit of prophecy works. It doesn't get all involved with the problem. It speaks forth the answer. It speaks forth the healing. It releases that which can come from nowhere but from God. And that's why it's so desperately needed in these days because Quite frankly, I can stand and I can talk to you about what's going on in our world right now and I can give you all my opinions and it's really not going to help you very much. The only thing that's going to feed your spirit and your soul and renew your mind and give you courage and grace and everything you need to go on is if God himself, the spirit of God, speaks to you. And that's why the spirit of prophecy is so important in these days. <clears throat> that it's not just our best effort. So, And if he'll use somebody like Eli, then praise God, he might use somebody like me to give a word that is just what is needed at that moment. Um, <clears throat> looking over here at the Expositor's Bible, which we like to use, this verse, I'm going to read verse 20. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come after Hannah had conceived that she bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Samuel would be the last judge of Israel and the first man to take the office of the prophet. Um, He was considered one of the greatest men of God who ever lived, and he will eventually anoint David to be king, through whose family the Messiah will ultimately come. So this is what the spirit of prophecy literally birthed into the world. Amen? Okay. Then in Acts 3, oh, I need this Bible for that too, sorry. 
turning back and forth. Acts 3, Samuel is mentioned. Um, verse 24. <clears throat> Acts 3:24. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel, even though there were prophets before Samuel, he was the first one in Israel to assume the office of the prophet. <clears throat> and those who follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. So that speaks of all the prophets in one way or another pointing to Jesus, to Jesus. Samuel was the first of them. He anointed David through whom his house and lineage came, the Messiah. <coughs> All right, so how are we doing here? Another example. Let's do another example of the spirit of prophecy working. Kathy, would you read Exodus 25.9? According to all that I show you after the pattern of the tabernacle, in the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so you shall make it. Okay. This is God giving explicit instructions to Moses for the building of the tabernacle. And he says, according to all that I show you, after the pattern. So the tabernacle was not man's idea. It wasn't designed by an architect with great skills. It was The architect was God. He says, I'm going to give you the pattern. This is a the tabernacle is a God-inspired building project. <laughs> it was spoken into being by God and then executed by Moses and his workmen, right? <clears throat> what was the tabernacle? It was a picture of something yet to come. So as God is speaking to Moses, here is the pattern. Um, and this is how you are to make it explicitly. He is speaking forth a shadow or a, or a physical um, foreshadowing of something greater yet to come. What, what, what lingered over the tabernacle? The presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the very light of God, right? So the Gospel of John then presents the fulfillment of the tabernacle, that Jesus is God's dwelling place. For a period of time, the tabernacle and then the temple of Solomon and then the temple of Zerubbabel were the dwelling place of God. But they were only a foreshadowing of the one who would be the container, God's dwelling place, the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him, Jesus. And the Gospel of John, the whole Gospel of John, presents Jesus as God's dwelling place, the fulfillment of the tabernacle. Kathy, would you read John 1, 1 through 5? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Amen. So the glory of God was once restricted to the tabernacle, but now... It is visible in Jesus. And it says the darkness cannot quench that light, cannot comprehend, cannot overcome. That light is the light of men, the light of the world. <coughs> so as we see God telling Moses, build this, because it is a prof it is prophesying, it, it's foreshadowing the one who will be um, God's dwelling place. That's the spirit of prophecy at work. 
right? Um, Exodus 40, 34. I need to do that in the expositors too. Now let me get to Exodus. I always seem to turn to Genesis when I'm trying to go to Exodus. Exodus 40, 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory that fills the tabernacle is the same glory that fills our hearts today. If we know Jesus and we are baptized in his Holy Spirit, then the glory that filled the tabernacle fills our hearts and lives in the person of the Holy Spirit within us. Anybody have anything they want to say? Jump in. So, <coughs> how how do we how do we relate to this? What is what is to understand about this this mystery? Um, let's go to let's go back to John one where Kathy began to read because we're talking about Jesus being the fulfillment of all this. Okay, Luke. This Bible's been to Brazil and all over the world. It's so beat up, it's hard to turn the pages. Okay, John 1.15. John, meaning John the Baptist, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. He existed before me. So John is giving testimony, the testimony of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus has been on the scene all along from eternity past. And he himself was that light that was in the tabernacle. His spirit was that light. He has existed and dwelt amongst us from the very beginning. <clears throat> so John is the test, he's giving the testimony of Jesus in the spirit of prophecy. Then in verse 16, John continues. For of his fullness we have all received, we have all received, and grace upon grace. John here is witnessing or testifying to who Jesus is. Of his fullness have all received. Understand the word witness. One who testifies, a witness or one who testifies is someone who testifies of a fact, of his truth. And John here testifies, of his fullness have all received. A witness, to be truthful, must speak from experience. You can't testify to something you know nothing of. So here John is testifying of Jesus because of his own personal experience and conviction by the Holy Spirit of this is the one. And then continuing in verse 17 explains better. For the law was given through Moses. And the law included the tabernacle. The law included the structure through which the uh, sacrifices would be made and all the law was to be kept. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So everything... The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Everything that was done under the law and in the tabernacle and the temple was pointing to that which Jesus Christ would bring into our lives. Amen? The law manifested man, weakness, our inability to reach God on our own. 
the Son manifested God. What's that? His nature and saying, it can be yours. You can have grace. You can have truth. You can realize the reality of, of all that the temple represented in your own being. So, um, I have to skip part of this because we've got more than we can we have time for. Um, just, just finishing up here, as to John the Baptist, now, as he's making his testimony of Jesus, he says in, in verse 20, he confessed and did not deny. He confessed, I am not the Christ. So he says clearly, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one. And they asked him in verse 21, What then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he, he said, no. So he's not Elijah. They asked him, who are you? Understand, the testimony is needed. I'm going to finish here by reading verses 26 through 34. John answered them, saying, I baptize in water. This is who I am. I baptize in water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So key factors, according to Rick's notes here, number one, the witness confirms what he sees. Number two, the witness validates the Holy Spirit. He said, I I didn't know anything. I didn't even know what I was looking for. But the Holy Spirit showed me who this was. That is the fulfillment of everything we've we've been about as, as Jews, as people. The, Holy, the witness validates the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, oh, I figured it out because I was so brilliant. He says, no, the Holy Spirit showed me. Number three, um, the witness describes, bears the record in verse 32, and John bore witness saying, so he, he like, um, he's like, I want to go on record <laughs> saying this. And it all leads to verse 33. He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon upon whom you see the Spirit descending, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Now, why did we take time reading about John's witness? Just another example. The testimony of Jesus through John the Baptist here is the spirit of prophecy moving through John the Baptist to bring salvation to millions. How many millions of people have, because of John's testimony, said, oh, 
oh, I don't want to just be a, you know, just a servant. I want to know who is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit and fire. Who is the one who takes away the sin of the world? That's the one I need to know, right? Because of his testimony of Jesus, he prophesied forward that millions and millions and millions of people would benefit from the one, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world and would be able to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. His testimony there stretches even to today. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's the power of the spirit of prophecy. 1 Samuel, the story we read in 1 Samuel, Eli, even somebody like him, he prophesied the answer of God to Hannah's need and it came full circle to John 1.3. All things came into being by him. What came into being? The little baby Samuel in her womb. Who anointed David? Samuel. Who, who then anointed David? Who then gave the house and lineage of the Messiah? All right? So Samuel prophesied something that comes full circle to John 1.3. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, including Samuel and including Jesus, the Messiah. So the answer (laughs) to all our need is Jesus. But it doesn't automatically happen. And that's where I come back to the days we're living in now. The answer is Jesus. But it doesn't automatically happen. It must be implemented. It must be applied. It must be spoken through the prophetic life. So wherever God can use us to do so in the midst of all this, let us be open to testify of Jesus and allow the spirit of prophecy move through us. Amen. God bless you. Um, We'll see you tomorrow. We'll have a guest. David Nutter is going to be our Bible teacher, so we're looking forward to that. So have a good day. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás. E eu o vejo de coração aberto para receber o pecador. Hey, hey, hey.